This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. It has been way too long in the making but it's finally here. We have Hacker Valley merchandise for people to purchase and rep that Hacker Valley swag that we all love and appreciate. We have shirts, we have hats, we have sweatshirts that you can purchase, and it's some of my favorite clothing. No lie, if you see me on a live stream or you see me out in the street, you're gonna see me wearing one of our pieces of clothing. We put time, attention, and detail into everything we do, and this is no different. Please check out our merch at store.hackervalley.com. And thanks for being a part of the Hacker Valley family. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Today in the studio, we've brought in Nikki Ivy. Nikki is a B2B revenue growth and startup culture leader. She's recognized as a 2020 LinkedIn top voice. And Nikki is the co-founder of SDR Defenders Community. Nikki, I've seen you speaking a lot on podcasts and other mediums. So I wanted to say thanks for taking the time out and chatting with us today and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. I am a fan of the show, particularly of this idea of, you know, looking for the human behind a lot of these uh, technical roles. So that speaks to my heart and I'm excited to dig into these kinds of things with you guys. Yeah, we're beyond excited. We got a chance to meet each other during DC Cyber Week. But for the folks that want to get to know you and understand where you come from and everything that you have going on today, what are you up to today? I work with Fortune 500 companies to help them make their outsides match their insides, right? Meaning a lot of the time companies get you know, how to look like they show up with a healthy, inclusive culture. But then sometimes the folks that actually work at these organizations, that sentiment doesn't trickle down or ring true to their experience. And so I help folks close that gap so that everybody has access to a greater sense of belonging and purpose in the work that they do. And so where did that come from? Did you do this as a kid? Did you do this when you got into the workforce? Where did that sense of bringing people into the fold and making them feel like they belong? How did that get started in your life? It started because I often did not belong or was not often treated like I belong. My mom tells me my first full sentence that I ever uttered was, that's not fair. So, oh, wow. so for me, this sort of I for injustice and me feeling this imperative to do something about it. It's just part of, you know, who I've always been. There was this book I checked out in fifth grade. It was a biography of Thurgood Marshall. I checked it out every week um, because wow. these things resonated with me, but it wasn't until I was able to put that together with my love of words and communication, understanding how that can move people to do really important things and solve problems that they didn't think were even possible to solve. None of that meant that I understood meant, yeah, you need to be a salesperson. Um, so I actually studied broadcasting and, and journalism in school. But when I discovered that tech sales particularly was, you know, an outlet 
for all of those things that I care about, right? I can use these communication skills to help folks get better at their jobs, to take businesses from seed round to series A and, and on up. That was one of the things that was most exciting. But then, of course, as I alluded to earlier, I did encounter these culture issues and started to realize, hey, wait a minute, this skill set that salespeople have of getting folks to see a problem in a different way, getting folks to feel confident and enthusiastic about solving that problem, I understood that I could apply that to these culture issues that abound often in, in a B2B tech sales environment. And so when you look at my experience, the things that I've been involved in, uh, including SDR Defenders, that's really the through line. That's where it's coming from. It's just, you know, how can I make people's experience at work better in the tech field? I'm sure there's a lot of things that are moving and shaking when you work in that type of industry. You're co-founded SDR Defenders Community, and I know that you're a big voice in the SDR space. And I'm sure there's a lot of moving pieces when it comes to that type of role. But what are the culture issues that you've experienced or, or have witnessed just throughout your career in tech sales? I'm hoping that we're starting to get away from it, but this idea of you know, folks being gatekeepers to B2B tech versus being stewards. Folks looking for more of the same as far as who gets opportunities versus, you know, widening that aperture and saying, what perspectives are we missing? What groups of folks are not represented here? Because when people and ideas and, you know, frames of reference and demographic experience are missing, it's obvious on a team, but a lot of time folks just count it out as not something that's solvable, right? We don't have enough of this kind of candidate or that in the pipeline. So what we got is what we got and we'll just, you know, move forward sort of obliviously. And so that's, that's really what I'm having to unseat first and mm -hmm. foremost, right? Is this idea that these types of culture issues don't happen at my company because it is again, part of often part of B2B tech culture, particularly startups. So a lot of them use the term like this is a family and there is this closeness, but when you get that, sometimes it's really hard to self-evaluate. So it's really hard to see what those cultural issues are. So again, first and foremost, just not enough folks from underrepresented groups, therefore not enough different frames of, of reference available in these environments. And then if you happen to be in the minority, there is a pressure in two directions, right? There is a pressure to overperform because you feel like you're being held to a higher standard. And a lot of times that's not just a feeling, it's true. And then there is this pressure to not behave or show up authentically for fear that who you really are will remind these folks how different you are from them and therefore you know, how uncomfortable they are with that difference. And then, you know, this whole other snowball effect that that can have. So, I mean, this is just what I'm naming a, a tiny section of a lot of the cultural issues. But again, there are lots of them, which is not to say that B2B tech is not a fun and, and often lucrative uh, space to work in. <laughs> but, but these things are, are things that leave people out of access to that fun, lucrative career. That's really why I'm just... I'm determined. I'm in it. I'm trying to make <laughs> this environment somewhere where everyone can flourish. What would you say is your personal professional superpower? And what would you say that first showed up for you in your life? 
definitely connecting with people. What I mean by that is I am always observing. I'm looking for clues to give me insight into what will move this person. Not, not usually what will move them to buy something from me, but what will move them to believe that I care about what they have to say right now? What will move them to believe that we likely have more in common than they thought? And then I just go for it. I take a risk, go out on a limb, and I say this thing, case in point, I had a conversation yesterday and it was somebody that I'm looking to work with. So I had some, there was some skin in the game for me. The question was asked like, what did you do with your weekend? And I just, I answered honestly, I offhandedly was like, you know, I watched a few hours of RuPaul's Drag Race because that is self-care. Not sure if you knew that. And, <laughs> and then this person lit up, lit up and it was like, oh my God, what season are you in? And all this good stuff. And so now every exchange that we have, there's a little like drag race pun in there, but little things <laughs> like that, that I think people overthink a lot of the time or, you know, just they, they, they clue in on that this person is open to or available to that type of connection or conversation, but they just talk themselves out of it. I never talk myself out of it for better or for worse, right? You're going to know me and I'm going to know you. And that's a much stronger foundation than if we just give in to this like small talk or rigid, I'm a sales robot, you're a tech buyer type situation. <laughs> I can't, I'm not even built for that. So yes, making connections, relationship within business is uh, definitely my superpower. I'd love to hear a story when the person wasn't so receptive in the beginning, but you found a pathway to make that connection. Love to hear that story. Ooh, that that's my favorite kind of story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so early in, in your sales career, the entry level role is the sales development rep. And that's what that's what I was doing. Actually, I was a full cycle rep. We were doing our own uh, sales development and closing deals. And there are hella opportunities to do just what you said, right? You get on the phone with a person. Nobody wants to hear a cold call. They certainly don't <laughs> want to hear some kid on the other line. Like, mm, I looked at your online business pages and it looks <laughs> like you're not listed at the top of Google. No, yeah. <laughs> you not hear that from me. <laughs> but that was the script, right? So it was about figuring out again, how do I make this, these things that I have to say, right? Or that I'm supposed to say to, to get at the, the business problem that I'm solving in a way that speaks to this human being. And a lot of the time it was just acknowledging that what I was doing was probably obnoxious. And to them, <laughs> right? Like, look, I know that nobody comes to the office and it says, you know what? I want to take a cold call today. I want to listen to some person drone <laughs> on about some tech solution that they want to sell. I would say this to people. And sometimes they would say, you're right, and hang up the phone. Other times, though, they would, you know, I could hear like arms folded type posture on the other end of the phone. Mm, yep. like, yeah, yeah. But but what's the hook? But what's what's the catch? And as soon as I would sort of back off and be like, who hurt you? You know, <laughs> <laughs> the last time somebody, I'm sure, I'm certain, I've seen, I've seen these types of phone calls done wrong a lot too, man. And, and so I get it. Uh, but I promise I'm not that person. Anyway, so just like breaking the veneer and being human would cause folks to, you know, shift and 
give me more and more time as the conversation went along. And then I would hear the arms unfold. And maybe I would hear like, you know, hand on chin leaning in to really listen to what I'm saying. And, you know, that is, that's a rush to be able to do that. It's powerful. And I really think that it's what makes the world go round. And this is, I tend to wax passionate about, <laughs> about sales and about changing folks' minds and communication a lot. But it's, I really do believe that. I believe that whatever job we're doing, however technical, if we can reach in and touch the hearts of people, whether they buy what we're selling or not that day, you know, whether we get the response or outcome we're looking for in the moment, we have moved someone. We have made someone feel seen. You never know when someone needs that in your day. So how can you be regretful of that? Even if the call doesn't go your way, are you going to be mad that you brightened somebody's day? You're going to be mad that you were one of the calls that they got that didn't suck? No. And it just brings this purpose to the work. So I, I got to do it. I, <laughs> I have to just go for it and, and bank on human beings doing what we were, I think, uh, made to do. I love working with a great salesperson and you have all of those attributes and characteristics, you know, building authentic relationships, not just trying to sell someone a product. Maybe the opportunity is there. Everyone does business with everyone that they know in some way. There's always that exchange of information or exchange of goods and doing it with someone that is authentic, I believe, is so amazing. And lately, I'm sure this is the way it's been for really everyone. My LinkedIn inbox has been just blown up with messages from bots, people that haven't taken the time to get to understand why they're messaging me. Maybe I do have an opportunity that I could provide through buying a product. But do I even need that thing? Would it even be a good use of their time to talk on the phone with me? One of the things that I wanted to ask you is how do you maintain that interest? Is it just the idea of changing someone's day and enlightening someone with some positivity? What is your favorite way to kind of double down on a relationship? I like to then do a little bit of, of research. For me, that yes, that is part of the fun. So what I mean is, let's say someone wanted to sell something to me. And part of their research included listening to this podcast. And something I've said on this podcast resonated with them. If we've already you know, started this, this relationship, I gave them a phone call, we talked really quick, or I sent them a connection request, and, and that was that. If they were to circle back and be like, hey, I meant to tell you, Nikki, I heard you on Hacker Valley Studios and you said X, Y, Z, and I could not agree more. So now, now we're in this position where, you know, we built this initial social capital around some maybe trivial thing that we had in common, like we both watch television shows about drag queens. Um, <laughs> uh, but now I've brought it to something more substantive. I've gotten to what they do with their life, what is important to them. And I've assured them, I've validated that what they're saying, what they're contributing to the space is valuable and that I'm listening. And people really respond well to that, especially when, like you said, there is a sea of other folks trying to connect with them or contact them that are doing it in a less personal way, in a less genuine way a lot of the time. So that's one of the ways. What I love to do just within my own network 
is to send people out of nowhere impromptu either voice memos or video messages uh, on LinkedIn saying, hey, man, or hey, girl, or hey, they, them. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> saying, hey, look, I just wanted to send you some good vibes today. It's Monday. Those can be tough even for the best of us that just wanted to wish you a whatever. So little things like that, just being like, I know this sounds like super simple stuff, you guys, but our days often pull us away. They pull us away from the organic human interactions that we might ordinarily be having. And so we're at a place in our development as human beings, as, as civilization, and certainly as a country where we have to intentionally get back to those things, intentionally infuse and schedule those things into our day so that we don't lose ourselves in binary code so that we don't lose ourselves in X's and O's and bottom lines. What you're saying is absolutely perfect to me because it almost sounds like you're saying that with today's social media, we can pretty much cancel cold calling. Am I hearing you correctly about that? Yeah, the col- the calls can all be warm, fam. The calls, the call- <laughs> the calls is hot, fam. No, uh- <laughs> Because yes, there is more information now than there has ever been. People who you want to connect with, even if you're not a salesperson, even if this is just something like internal, right? You work in in a tech role and you are interested in looking at a different department or you're just interested in upward mobility within the organization. If the person who you would who would be evaluating you for the next level has any type of social presence, you can run that same play I just talked about. You could say, I saw you were on this webinar and someone asked a question about this and your answer just really hit the nail on the head. I'm interested in learning about that, you know, as I move through, you know, my my career at whatever company. Right. So that kind of information means that, like you said, no, you never have to go into a call without some little nugget, some little piece of that person that you've identified as special that you're surfacing to them at that point. And you never know how their day was going before that and what kind of impact that could make. With all that you're saying, it reminds me of one of my favorite books of all time, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm -hmm. But one of the criticisms of that book is that people feel like if you're reading from this book and then you start to act like the book says, that you're being disingenuous. But I, I, I disagree with that sentiment, because I do feel like there are things that we just don't think about when we're, we're brought up. Maybe we weren't taught a certain way from our family, and maybe there are certain actions in there that we would love to bring into our own personal tool belt to connect better with people, because I genuinely believe in connecting with people. How do you feel about you know, using some of these these tactics, you know, being able to build that relationship, but also being genuine in those interactions? So that starts for me, that starts before you even choose where you want to work, right? Before you choose, specifically as a seller, thinking very deeply about what industry you want to sell into, what personas you want to be talking to every day, and then picking one that you can authentically care about. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you know, well, it's just the three of us here, um, (laughs) that... I've had times in my career where I didn't get that part right and it, it would have come off disingenuous. So for instance, I had a role where I was selling a tech solution to construction subcontractors 
not a lot of tech solutions being bought by construction uh, subcontractors. The product resonated with me, but my communication style did not resonate with that audience. And so if I were to say, hey, I saw that you posted this in the, you know, American Roofers Association Facebook group, and that really resonated with me. No, it didn't. There is probably not a single <laughs> aspect of construction that resonates with me. The people are lovely and they were fun to talk to. I, I talked to frequently. It was, you know, a gentleman who was like a small business owner as a subcontractor, and he's literally on a roof right now. He's literally doing the job right now and taking the time to talk to me. But at the same time, he doesn't want to hear my jokes about drag race. So you kind of have to first find your tribe, find something that you can genuinely care about before you even choose where you're going to to work. Um, and then if you've gotten that part right, I think then you don't really have to try at authenticity. It's a thing that either is or isn't. And then as it is with, I think with anything, there's nothing wrong with recognizing that success is going to take a science and an art. That's how I think about this. So the art is what we've talked about earlier in the call, right? This natural inclination and ability to connect with people. It's almost intuition for me. But if I had just that and never applied any type of process or skill or strategy to it, the, like this book that you mentioned outlines, then I would still lose in the long run. So it's about identifying what parts of yourself are applicable. My part just happens to be that, that instant connection. Somebody else's part might be something entirely different as far as the artistry part of this goes. But if we're both using this, this skill set and we're both applying some kind of process and strategy to it, then we both win. Then it doesn't matter what the nuances are uh, between the communication style. I got to say, I'm an introvert. So when I was first learning how to communicate with new people and new people that I didn't know much about, I used to kind of try to do the small talk thing, talk about maybe something that they posted on that I don't know much about or comment on, you know, just trying to get more interested about something that I don't have that much information on. But what I found to be very helpful for me, and I think you're really describing this well, is getting curious about something that you're interested in, maybe that this person does, that this person has experience with. So for us, you know, just talking to you on the podcast, we're so curious about your expertise in building, you know, this SDR persona for yourself, building this personal brand and also exploring it by curiosity. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how does building that personal brand out really help you in your role today or even being SDR in the past? I'd say it's a non-negotiable at this point. Anybody who's wanting to compete for jobs or for business is going to have to, you know, not necessarily build a personal brand because the brand exists independent of whether or not you are taking control of it. So it's mm -hmm. more about seizing that opportunity, right? Being the person who is directing the narrative versus letting that narrative precede you in absence of actually anything that has to do with you. So for me, this whole like, and I still feel like 
kind of douchey about even saying like my personal brand is an influencer. Uh, but, <laughs> but my personal brand is an influencer was born of struggle for six months last year. Um, as a result of COVID, I was out of work and I was just trying to stay sharp, trying to stay creative and, and more than anything, trying to feel less alone. I knew it couldn't have been just me who was feeling, you know, hopeless and shameful. I think people carry a lot of shame sometimes when, when they're out of work. And so it was a, a, a two-pronged type of endeavor, right? It was really genuinely me wanting to reach out and find people so that I felt less alone. And then it evolved into understanding that that meant that I could help other people people feel less alone and then help them feel more encouraged and then help them identify, you know, what skills or aptitudes they could develop to be prepared when the next opportunity did come around. And for me, what that, what that looked like was creating this content, text, videos, and all of these types of, of posts that authentically just shared where I was in my journey and just called out all of these deep, dark feelings of failure that were killing me inside. And, and once I did that, that attracted people, people who I wouldn't have even imagined were listening or had ever felt these things to start engaging with me. I went from, you know, at the start of this content creation about a year and a half ago, about 6,000 followers on, on LinkedIn. It's, it's up around 20 now, up around 20,000. And that's not for me, that's not like some vanity metric. That's like, these are people who you have reached. These are people who have decided to click a button so that they don't miss the things that you have to say, not because it blows my head up, but because they, they're looking for that same type of reassurance and, and validation that I started, that I was looking for myself to begin with. So you know, that's why community emerged as the the way for me to reach people at scale. And it's been since then the way for me to do better at business and the way for me to really, really sharpen this this brand building muscle and then apply the powers for good. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, I'm sure there are a ton of professionals in tech and cybersecurity sales where they've had to adhere to some of these cold calling tactics where the cold reach outs on social media or cold calling. What final piece of advice would you have for those folks that are getting tired of that, that rejection, that want to start to build those quality and genuine relationships? What is that final piece of advice that you would have for them? It's always a song lyric for me. Um, and sometimes the songs are corny. Uh, but the, the, the lyric is every new beginning comes from some other beginnings and just accept that there's going to be a certain level of failure involved in this. There's going to be a certain level of rejection. If you calculate that in, it doesn't sting as much. If you just say like today, I'm only looking for three yeses. And to get those three yeses, probably gonna have to take about 50 no's, who knows, right? Whatever your unit economics are for, for your situation. And then it's not a surprise when that happens. In fact, it can will you forward because you know, like, all right, that wasn't the one. All right, all right, right, and just keep going. And it's not always sunshine and rainbows, 
But if you've got that the right mindset plus a process in front of you, you're going to be okay. I'll give one last little metaphor or analogy to help sort of bring this, this home as far as knowing what to do really in any situation and why it's important to be prepared. I was at my son's band concert. He plays the trumpet. It's adorable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed, right? I know he knows all the songs by memory. I know that. That's how he learns. And I know that his teacher knows all the songs by memory. And all the students in there were very astute young musicians. And yet they all had their sheet music in front of them. They're all still looking at the sheet music. And then I start to think about it. I was like, even at these big international symphonies, these folks who've been playing these instruments for their entire lives still have their sheet music in front of them. Because as I was saying before, even if the art comes naturally to you, when you anchor it with strategy, when you anchor it with science, it does a couple of things, right? Like I said, it can supercharge your efforts, but it can do this thing for your confidence, especially when you're going into a phone call. If you've got like a plan in front of you of how that call's going to go, then even if you get off track, it's super easy to get right back on track. So I think that's what I would say to folks is don't lean too much on the art. Make sure that you've got a process and a strategy in front of you to help you for when the art fails. And it will because people are emotional and, and that will help you not be so scared or so rattled uh, when that happens. Nikki, thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us today. It was a true honor. And thank you for giving us a master class on how to cancel the cold call. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the great things you have going on in your life, what are the best ways that people can do that? On Instagram and Twitter at no Nikki Ivy. Uh, it's not no as in rejection. Uh, it's no K N O W Nikki Ivy. Again, that's Twitter and Instagram. I'm always on LinkedIn. Like literally, I'm scrolling LinkedIn at like two o'clock in the morning, which I know is unhealthy, <laughs> but don't judge me. Uh, so you can reach me there as well, uh, or you can email me at uh, Shaniqua Ivy at gmail.com. Perfect. We will be sure to drop all of those in the show notes so everyone can stay up to date with you and all the things that you're doing. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.